Welcome everyone, this is Sarah Walker. Today we are interviewing Dr. Jim Cleves in this edition of Pubs with BMSIS. This is a podcast of the Blue Marble Space Institute of Science that interviews authors of scientific papers that have an affiliation with our institute. Jim's paper entitled Mineral Organic Interfacial Processes, Potential Roles in the Origin of Life is published in Chemical Society Reviews. Jim, welcome and thanks for talking with us today. Well, thank you for having me. Excellent. So this was a really interesting uh, review article that addresses what I think is perhaps one of the most difficult aspects of what is really a difficult subject in general. So you're really trying to address the role of minerals in the origin of life and, and review a wide literature on that. So I think a lot of people in the origin of life community know that minerals probably played a prominent role in the early evolution of chemical systems and prebiotic earth. But it's probably not at all obvious to a non-expert why minerals are so important. Could you explain for our listeners why minerals are so important in the origin of life? Uh, sure. I mean, well, we don't we don't know exactly that they were, but I mean, there's a good chance that the Earth is basically a big rock, right? And almost anywhere there's liquid water that comes into contact mm-hmm. with rocks as a kind of containing basin, whether it's a puddle or an ocean or a lake. There's always that connection and interaction between the, the minerals and the water and whatever is dissolved in the water. So, I mean, the big questions are, what do those interfaces do and how could they possibly contribute to complexifying organic matter? Yeah, so I've always been fascinated by how many minerals are involved, potentially, or how many environments. So you mention a lot of, in particular, a lot of host environments for the origin of life in the paper. Some which are better for concentrating organics. Some are better for protection against harmful UV radiation. Some host minerals which interact better with nucleotides or amino acids or lipids. And so it seems like there's such a variety of different minerals environments. Could you describe some of the ones you think are um, particularly relevant for the origin of life? And do you have any preferred sites? You know, if we think about the kind of big schema that people have for how life started, and there, there are a few different models that are, some of them are sort of mutually exclusive. Basically, you have the idea that you have water somewhere in some environment. It could be in the ocean. It could be, you know, shallow surface water. It could be water on a beach. And then some sorts of organic compounds that gets injected into that environment, and then some process of complexification of that organic material subject to whatever energy source is flowing through that environment, which could be sunlight you know, in a surface environment, could be uh, heat in a submarine hydrothermal environment, and that causes that organic material to evolve, if you will. And it's possible, though, that the various minerals that are also present there have catalytic or synthetic roles in that process, right? Yeah. So there's somewhere around 4,400 known naturally occurring minerals in the solar system, you know, which, are, which are just stable states of various inorganic uh, cations and anions and crystalline structures. Probably not all of those were present on the early Earth because some of them um, need the presence of, of fairly large amounts of oxygen. Ah, uh, sure. And others have to go through a certain amount of, you know, tectonic recycling to build up to, to high enough concentrations to really be present. So does that um, allow you to, like, narrow the space, of, like, the mineral space of possibilities that are prebiotically relevant? Probably by about two-thirds from the oh, wow. But that still gets you 3,000-some-odd possible minerals. And then some of them are more likely to be associated with certain environments than others. Mm-hmm. Things like clays tend to be in kind of undisturbed depositional areas. 
things like evaporite that form when concentrated solutions of water evaporate right. um, in the sun. So some you can say are probably in this kind of environment, others are in this kind of environment. And then you have the, the kind of added complexity of that of what specific types of interactions does that specific type of mineral have with this specific type of organic compound. So it becomes sort of an algebraic expression, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so, just the complexity is just like mind-boggling of the possible interactions. Combinatorics are just insane. Yeah, they get kind of big. But I mean, so what we were trying to do is just say, oh, there's some like broad sweeping generalizations mm. we can make about this right. that, you know, can be, can be followed up in the future with more specific studies. Yeah, I, I like that part about your paper where you were trying to generalize certain properties of certain minerals that could apply to a, a class of minerals rather than necessarily a specific instantiation. I always wonder about this aspect of it where you have, you know, one environment is really good for one thing and one environment is really good for another. Um, I mean, I used to study chirality a while ago, so I'm always fascinated by this. But for listeners who don't know, chirality is the handedness of of molecules, which can come in left or right-handed form. And uh, amino acids in biology are just found in the left-handed form, and sugars are just found in the right-handed. So that's a big question in the origin of life. But you mentioned in the paper that clay, which is really good for RNA synthesis, um, can yield homochiral nucleotide strings, but actually racemizes or makes destroys the handedness of amino acids. So it seems like in a lot of the cases you cite, it's good for one thing that is biologically relevant but bad for another. Do you think that there's any possibility of finding sites sort of based on your general principles that you describe in the paper that could be good for almost everything necessary? Or do you think that the origin of life really had to be at separate stages and separate locations based on this kind of analysis? We don't know, but my <laughs> personal... If you had to speculate, <laughs> yes. Then there's a lot of things to test. But my personal feeling is probably some things might require mineral catalysis. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe some feedback between that mineral environment and the organic mix that's evolving over it. But then, I mean, once you get to a certain level, I mean, almost everything in biology is done by organic compounds, sometimes chelating metals, Mm -hmm. but not really using what you'd call a mineral, right? Right. Maybe maybe a little metal sulfur cluster or metal oxygen cluster, but they're not, not really minerals per se. You know, at some point, the organic complexity is so much larger than the mineral complexity. Mm -hmm. So if you take, say, which defines a mineral as, you know, is known as its unit cell. Okay. So the the, the repeating motif of the crystal lattice of the atoms that define that mineral. And that might have molecular weight of maybe three to 500 Daltons. Mm -hmm. The Dalton being the mass of one hydrogen atom, right? Right. If you take the number of different organic compounds you can make in that molecular weight range, I don't know what the number is exactly, but and it has to be computed because they haven't all been made. Oh, my but it's gosh. Something, it's more than the number of electrons in the universe, right? So, okay, so it's truly astronomical. It's truly astronomical. And, wow. you know, that, that number compared to, say, 3,000-some-odd is just they're not comparable, right? Right. So, the, I mean, once you get into that organic scheme, the minerals must have been left aside pretty quickly. They were, like, left in the dust. <laughs> Yeah, there's so much diversity that, yeah. Okay, that's very interesting. Yeah, so you suggest some future studies in the paper, just things like considering the role of temperature, pressure, or other environmental influences. Um, Is there anything that you think is especially critical, like the next step we need to take to making progress? You also mentioned things like high-throughput technologies just because of, of the diversity. So I'm just wondering if you had, like, from that paper, one suggestion that you think is, like, the next thing to do. 
Can I have two? You can have two. You can have as many as you want. <laughs> <laughs> now, one thing we got into a little bit in the back was um, using computers to simulate mm-hmm. some of this. Yeah. Thing. And we're making really quick progress in the ability of computers to simulate real chemical reactions and real molecular interactions. At some point, computers will do this faster than chemists can. Right. That's coming. I don't know how soon we'll get there, but it's coming. Yeah. Thanks. Until we do, probably something like a combinatorial chemistry approach. Yeah. Where you have something like a plate with 96 wells, and you can put a little bit of a different mineral in each well, and then add in a chemical to each one, and do 100 reactions at a time instead yeah. of one. So is right? it... And get robots to do this for you at some oh, point. okay. <laughs> I was going to say, the human labor on that must be very intense, especially in the analysis well, part. Well, then in this trick, it's finding ways you can get machines to do your work for you. Yeah, the way of the future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay. I have uh, one final question for you today, which is getting a little bit more speculative, but we sort of like to go to astrobiology questions with these interviews. And so you did mention, um, you know, just a little while ago about the 4,400 mineral species uh, that we know about, but only a small subset of them, well, a smaller subset of them are potentially prebiotically relevant, as in they actually could have been present on the early Earth. Do you think that this kind of approach, like say we can do these high throughput experiments you were just describing and the computational studies and things, that we could actually eventually use those data sets to constrain the possibility of life on other planets and also potentially the likelihood of life in the universe based on mineral abundancies? Is that something that's at all possible in the future or completely not? Well, I would think that some types of planets will have very similar types of mineralogies. Mm. Mars and Earth probably have a fair number of minerals in common. Right. Just because they, they form from similar materials and they're kind of in a similar temperature regime, somewhat similar sizes. And, you know, there's some of the same sort of um, hydrologic cycles on both. And maybe more, more similar ones in the ancient past. You know, if we think it happened on Earth in certain environments that were present on Earth, then I guess we should be looking for those kind of environments in other planets. Okay. Cool. Right. I mean, that, that terrestrial planet thinking is, is certainly a big driver. Right, right. In astrobiology, so. Sure. And so, so hence the, the race to find Earth-like planets. Right? Yeah, it's kind of interesting to define them more on their mineralogy, though, than rather than just looking for water or atmospheric things. So, kind of a different perspective. Yeah. They're kind of related things, yeah. though, right? Yeah, yeah, they definitely are. Yeah. Everything has to be just just so for all of those things to be the way they are. Right. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Jim, for talking with us today. Jim's paper. Well, thank you. (laughs) Thanks. Um, Jim's paper titled Mineral Organic Interfacial Processes, Potential Roles for the Origin of Life is published in Chemical Society Reviews. Summaries of articles available at www.bmsis.org slash publication. Thanks again. Thank you. 